Buttons right click. Begin Podfix Network transmission. In three, two, one. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. It is a podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, the show about fish fishing and eating fish, or it's always interesting, usually funny, and mostly true. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, and your best friend. I'm back with Mark. Mark is still test driving the idea of being a co-host here. We're going to get him on for a few more shows. Testing. 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 It's working. (laughs) It's working. And we know we've, we've already made some giant leaps in quality. You've got a microphone, so that's a... For podcasting, that makes a big difference. Welcome back, Mark. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, and it's Mark Carter, right? You got it. And you're and you're a biologist. Yep, I'm a biologist. A little like- out of practice, but hey, I, I do what I can. We'll get you back in it. Uh, and before we get too much further in this, we do have to start with an ad, because that's how we make a little bit of money here. Uh, this episode of The Fish Nerds is brought to you by Boat Setter. Boat Setter is the go-to platform for all types of boating experiences, including fishing uh, you can book fishing charters or guides, including the Fish Nerds Guide Service, or you can even rent boats for going out on your own. All types of boats and charters are available from bass boats and pontoons and center consoles, too. Uh, visit BoatSetter.com, BoatSetter.com, or download the Boat Setter app to plan your next adventure. And if you use the code FISHNERDS, all one word, you get 5% off. And Mark, this is so cool. If you're on vacation, download this app and you want a boat, you can just take someone's personal watercraft out. And uh, they have a. I'm actually heading. I'm heading on vacation tomorrow. I need to check it out. Please do, please, please do. Because I screwed up a deal with them this month because I had, uh, I had my email taken over by a bunch of fake email addresses and didn't notice it. And so I sold them on. Yep, I sold them on the fact that I had five thousand people on my mailing list and I only had three hundred. So. That's a slightly different number. <laughs> so yeah, they're, they're, they've been very cool about it. So I'm working with them to kind of make right. So if we can get people to book a few trips, that would sure make a big difference in uh, in it. So tonight on the show, we are going to do a review of the movie, uh, the documentary, Octop- My Octopus Teacher. And we're going to do some fish in the news. First of all, though, I do want to check in with you. Have you done any fishing since the last time we talked? Zero fishing since the last time. we. Oh, no, I did. I went fishing and got skunked, but had a great time. Where'd you go? Uh, kind of on the Chattahoochee River, uh, a little creek inlet uh, to the Chattahoochee River. It's pretty muddy, no fish. Um, what, what were you fishing for? Uh, I had just a little kind of beetle spin type thing. So one of those, let's see what's in here, mm-hmm. you know, exploratory fishing. Usually catches everything, like. right? Yeah. Although, interestingly, I've never actually caught a fish on a beetle spin. Yeah, it's one of those... Uh, it's like the classic lure that used to catch fish, maybe, but maybe doesn't catch too many fish. <laughs> right, takes up space in your tackle box, and, uh, and it doesn't catch anything. I should do a poll on that. Like, what is the what is the number one lure in your tackle box you've had forever and never caught a fish on? Would be a fair question to ask people. It, it's all about confidence too. So maybe I just don't have confidence in it. Well, know. that's what they say. If you trust your lure, you throw the same lure enough, enough times, it's going to work for you. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know. I'm not very patient with it. So, and and I haven't done much fishing either. I've been actually got a new job, and now I'm working. I've been looking for a full-time job for 15 years, and I finally got one. And now I'm tired all the time. I'm a full-time radio like DJ, DJ on top 40 radio station, which is bananas. So, and and, I and is that a yeah? Is that is that your is that your favorite kind of music? No, no. Picking up things along the way. Yeah, I'm learning. I had no idea. Like I meant to do a Lipa and the Weekend and BTS and Justin Bieber. 
and uh, I'm starting to get used to it. <laughs> mm. I understood about 1% of what you just said. I know, it? I know, but I'm, I'm starting to learn it. You know, it turns out music is music once you give it a chance. So anyway, nice. let's get on with the podcast. We're going to review the movie My Octopus Teacher. I thought it would be fun to play the, uh, to play the trailer before we get into it. So here we go. I remember the day when it all started, seeing this really strange thing. A lot of people say an octopus is like an alien. But the strange thing is, as you get closer to them, you realize that you're very similar in a lot of ways. hard thing to explain but sometimes you just get a feeling and you know there's something to this creature that's very unusual there's something to learn here i had to have a radical change in my life and the only way i knew to do it was to be in this ocean with her and then i had this crazy idea what happens if i just went every day about to fall asleep here. Oh yeah, it's very sleepy. I actually I realize uh, that there's a line that can't be. Go ahead. I I don't want to I don't want to give it away here, but I, I liked the movie. But I, it took me about three times to get through it because I watched it late at night and it was literally putting me to sleep with that music in the background. <laughs> Several times I fell asleep, but I liked it. Well, there's something about not just the music, but that steady bubbling sound the whole time is very soothing, and the dude's voice. He has no inflection in his very voice. calming yeah calming voice. and his accent i'm not sure even where he's from but i heard the music playing really quiet in my ears <laughs> and it was just talking to an octopus and i just yes. thought what if i just fell asleep once in a while while watching a movie it'd be delightful yeah, it's, <laughs> it's kind of odd to have a, a movie that i liked and would recommend to others but literally put me to sleep right, let's, time. let's finish this see if you can make through the trailer <laughs> vulnerability, worried about your family or child. I hadn't been a person that was overly sentimental towards animals before. I realized I was changing. My relationship with people, with humans, was changing. What she taught me was to feel that you part of this place, not a visitor. That's a huge difference. And it actually took me over, gosh, it took me months to decide to finally watch this movie. And I think it was you, Mark, who said I have to watch it. I did. I brought it up. Yeah, that's my idea. I'm curious to hear what you're going to think about it. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. And I'll, I'll be honest. I, you know, I got actually started off bored. You know, just push and play on on Netflix at three in the morning when I watched it. <laughs> Took me three days mm -hmm. to get through it, uh, and I actually started off not interested at all in it. Um, I, I think there was I found something off putting about the director, cinematographer, the you know the main character. His name is Craig Foster, and I, I found him off putting. 
maybe yeah. maybe it was accent. Maybe I don't like South Africans. I don't know. But there's something. There was something immediately about him. I had to warm up, and I do like him now. Like it took me a while to kind of come along, but almost but like it thoughts? felt pretentious. Yes, absolutely. So I think the thought came to my mind when you all had discussed Seaspiracy a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. and kind of went through um, the garbage pile that that was, and I. I thought, you know, let's, this is a little bit of a different uh, take on kind of Netflix, you know, popular Netflix, um, fishy material right now. So that was kind of why it came to mind. But, um, and then also it was, it was in the news, right? I mean, it was recently the, the best, uh, what was it? Documentary. What yeah. do they call that? Um, yeah. One Oscar, one Oscar, right? Academy award for best documentary feature yeah. just a few weeks ago. So, so it is um, timely. Very timely. It is timely. And, and it's been recommended to me before to watch it. And just something never appealed to me about it. Maybe the title even didn't grab me. You know, I, I can't figure out why I was resistant to watching this movie. But but just kind of overall, before we get into like the details of it, and spoiler, if you haven't seen it yet, it's been out for a long time. So we're <laughs> going to spoil it for you. So if you haven't watched it, feel free to pause the podcast, go to Netflix, and you can check out My Octopus Teacher. Um, but... But but I did I actually ended up loving the movie by the end, you know I'm not gonna watch it twice, <laughs> but I well, but once I, was enough. Once was enough because I actually found myself like sad at the end of the movie. So we'll talk about that as we get to it. Um, but but the whole premise is 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 the guy Craig Foster, the, the cinematographer, is kind of like uh, at a point in his life where he is kind of feeling lost and looking for something. They weren't clear about what that was. I feel like divorce or something like that. His because a lot of times depression, just, it seemed he, like he had yeah, depression. It's just him and his son, uh, and or maybe he lost his wife. I didn't. I didn't. I like I said the first bit. I didn't pay attention to that much. Um, but <laughs> I was probably asleep. Yeah, probably sleeping. But basically, he went out diving, and I think he's in, somewhere in South Africa. I'm not sure where where they're diving near Cape Town, I believe. Yeah, yeah near Cape Town in these giant kelp forests, which are just beautiful. And the cinematography of this film is just unbelievable. It's just so stunning shots is that he was able to get uh, and, and that's really hypnotic on its own. And then over time, he just started going to the same spot every day. And the more time he spent in one spot, the more stuff you notice about that spot, everything becomes familiar. And he started noticing uh, when he introduces us to his octopus friend, the teacher, he starts noticing this behavior. Like he finds a ball of shells that turns out it's an octopus who just on her suckers, just has dozens and dozens of shells covering her body with them, like an armor suit. That's kind of where we first meet the octopus. And that's, and that's kind of where the movie starts taking off. And then pirates come, and the laser cannons shoot off, and <laughs> <laughs> none of that happens. I, I missed that. Maybe I was sleeping again. You fell Maybe asleep, was... yeah. When the orcs started riding in, and the octopus raised up eight swords all at once. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I missed all of that. And the giant musical numbers, you know, what happened to him? <laughs> uh, no, but then, but basically, once he discovered this octopus, he started connecting with the octopus because he became a part of the octopus's world, the octopus's, octopus's environment. And the movie does try to put in some conflict, right? They do they do introduce us to predation, which is a real thing for octopuses. What were the predators there? Do you remember? The, the, yeah, so they, they've got these sharks that are always lurking in the background. Yeah, they all, they all want to eat this this octopus. Now, I always wonder, too, like, some of the shots he, he took of this octopus, like running away from the sharks, could the sharks have really been behind her, or was that him behind her chasing her to get those shots of her spraying ink and swimming away? 
Yeah, it kind of felt like he's chasing the octopus at times. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think so. But they do, you know, it is kind of latent with drama. But the octopus seems to be, in some scenes, reaching out to him and connecting with him and recognizing him as an individual, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, so I had some similar thoughts to you. And I, I questioned, whenever I watch any of these documentaries, I question, you know, what's real and what's not and what's mm-hmm. been staged and what hasn't. Um, it, there's some of the other Netflix material has sort of caught some allegations um, of staging some stuff. And mm-hmm. um, so anyway, you, you kind of question that you wonder, and here I was wondering, and it took me, it was about halfway through the movie where I started really kind of uh, connecting with the story and feeling like, yeah, they, that wasn't staged or that, you know, that wasn't staged. I, mm-hmm. I started, it was, I found affirmation that like, I think, you know, at least half of this story is real and it's amazing. The part that is real is, Certainly amazing. Right. And that's and that's the kind of the cynic in us, the scientist in us, where we're like right away we're thinking, okay, this is just all anthropomorphic. He's just putting mm-hmm. on, you know, our emotions onto this onto this uh octopus. Uh but it wins. Uh, in the end, <laughs> whether or not it's all real or all staged, he, he we eventually we all got there with him. We all kind of came along. And like you said, I mean, the, the, there was some amazing footage, regardless of what you thought about the anthropomorphism or anything else. It was just, he caught some cool stuff on, on film. He got some great... That's worth watching. Yeah, he got some great film. So kind of going through the movie, the first half of the movie is basically just him every day going out and meeting this octopus, doing things like reaching his hand out into her cave, and then her, her arm reaches out, and kind of the, 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 the suckers first touch his fingers for the first time, you know, and you... Yeah, and, and and even before that, there was um, this underwater tracking concept that was totally new to me. I guess he, you know, said he took some notes from uh, what previous documentary he worked on with some trackers and mm-hmm. um, I guess sub-Saharan Africa, and, and then he was doing this underwater tracking and looking at the way you know these cr- different critters kind of move, and you can tell their trails through the sand, and and he kind of set that all up, and that was just new to me and kind of strange, but hey, really cool. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the, for me, the biggest thing, the takeaway. Uh, or the tracking even, and just in general is, is if you really want to learn something, you have to go to that thing as much as you can. You know, so he didn't, he stopped looking at the entire kelp forest. He just focused on that one space where that octopus was. Yeah. And that's when he. Data points on that one spot mm-hmm. over and over and over again. Yeah. yeah. And that made, that seemed to make all the difference. But the octopus itself was beautiful. Uh, really cool. And just the color. Do you know what kind of species this was? It's a common octopus, I believe, Just which they found kind of worldwide, um, you know, in certain latitudes. So, wasn't anything super special. I was expecting it to be some funnily named, you know, strange creature, but yeah, common octopus. Common octopus. Um, so yeah, there was. So there's not a lot of story in this movie. It's just him connecting with this octopus. Um, the, the drama comes when a uh, shark comes in. She tries to hide under a rock, and the shark comes in and grabs one of her arms and rips it off. Right. Yeah, and I thought, you know, you see the shark swimming away, swallowing the arm. You got these great shots <laughs> of the arm in the mouth of the shark. Now, here's a question for you: You're a biologist, and and he's a docu film documentary. Would you have intervened if you've been focusing on this one this one octopus all the time, and a shark comes by while you're there, and you can shoot it away? Would you shoot it away? Yeah, and. Uh, I think I'd say no, but he's, he wrestled with that too in the movie a little bit as far as like how much, you know, intervention in this system. It makes you wonder if, if it was on day one, like maybe not, but if it was on day 365 and you've already been hanging out with this thing for a year, you might feel a little pull to shoo the shark away, you know, get in there. Yeah, I would have no trouble pushing that shark away. Like I would even <laughs> no hesitate. I'd be like, you know what? That's my octopus. Get away from it. I'm team octopus on this one. Yeah. 
I would have totally just gotten in the way of that shark. I would not have allowed it to eat my friend's arm. Yeah, and, but th- those sharks are super cool looking too. I mean, that had I had I was on a whole nother rabbit trail of I think they're called p- pajama sharks. Yes, but yes, yeah. Strange looking creatures, really interesting. Um, y- you could follow them around, and I bet there's a story to tell there. So it was tough. You know, are you on team shark or team octopus? Because I normally love sharks. But I I do love sharks, here. but on, in this case, because of the way the movie was put together, I have to be on team octopus. But you're right. I mean, how interesting would it be to do the same movie with one of those pajama sharks? And then you see the shark coming in hunting the octopus. You're like, oh, all you want is a sandwich. Go get it. You know, it's all right. I want to go, boy, you got your sandwich. You know, like it's, you could easily put yourself in the other position on that one. Just a little taste. And then, you know, I'm sure you're getting there, but the octopus grows its arm back. So it's like regenerated. So the the shark gets its arm, you know, the octopus gets its arm back. Everybody's happy. Well, it's a symbiotic relationship. You get a fresh brand new arm out of it. (laughs) You know, but I thought that, I thought the octopus was going to die after that. It was looking weak. It kept being pale. Was hiding out more, stopped eating for a while. Yeah, that's where you really wish you knew kind of how many days had passed between certain, you know, footage and all that. But right. And you did see him try to feed the octopus. Oh yeah. I can't remember if it was at that same point or not, but he took a yeah, some sort of of a of a bivalve, like a, muscle a muscle and yeah, popped it open and the octopus wouldn't take it. Hmm. So like he yeah, inter- those, those octopuses are great hunters. It made me wonder would they even if he didn't have a, a bad you know, would would they ever take uh, from his best friend, you know, from the, from the diver, would they ever take something like that? I don't know. Yeah, I'm super curious if he ever tried to feed it when it was feeling healthy and strong. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm very curious about how because because you know when you look at a movie like this, you know, it's it's a it's a two hour documentary, but you know he had like hundreds of hours of film, and every day, every, every day, yeah. And so, like, what part did he leave on the floor? Mm-hmm. You know, was it the part where he fed a healthy octopus? Was it the part where <laughs> the octopus died and he switched locations and no one told you know tell anybody? Because yeah, would you know the a new octopus? Would you yeah, know the difference? That. Nope. No. Yeah. So it's it's hard to know for sure. You know, like truth and fiction and all these kind of stuff. But but you end up you end up falling in love with this octopus and really liking it. I didn't like him that much near the you know <laughs> as he kept going. I liked him better. But the octopus, I uh, started really, really liking, and I guess because they're easy to like. Yeah, he's the least likable character in the show. <laughs> he really is. And you know, he brings his son out diving with the octopus, which I think is great. And I, you know what it is? I just see rich, you know, I see like independently wealthy people. Is what I see when I see people like him. Like I just want to, I want to be rich like that someday. Well, make- when they showed some some shots of his house, him and his house, and he's uh, he's got all these collections of shells and mm-hmm. just stuff he's found on the seafloor, which looked like a museum. But you know, who's got that kind of those file drawers? And you know, it's just yeah, it, pretty pretty amazing setup he had. Yeah, and he's got the time. I mean, you can't if you have a job, <laughs> you're not going. No, I don't know. I I spent the last couple of years just every day, you know, out just snorkeling around, free diving. I, I guess you yeah. could do that. Pretty good kick. No, I'm joking. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> clearly, how, how do you make that work? You know, how right, do you get there? The timing just doesn't work unless you live on the water. You've got all the time in the world and all the money in the world. Uh, not to mention the quality of the filming. He had to have high quality stuff. And I wondered, he must have had. I would, I would love to see some of the other stuff. Like he must have had a drone flying around the whole time, and he must have had underwater drones as well for some of those shots. Or yeah, did, I think I, I read an article about that, and I didn't pay. A, ton of attention, not knowing a, a lot about production anyways, but um, he had a lot of, a lot of the, the filming apparently was his own camera with himself. And then he had another experienced, you know, diving cameraman with him and then clearly drone shots and stuff. But I didn't get the impression that it was some huge, mm-hmm. you know, crew, but certainly a few different yeah. 
cameras in the mix. Well, whatever he did, it worked. I mean, it was just stunning. I mean, if you haven't seen this movie yet, you really should should watch it because it is beautiful to look at. Uh, and then, and then, of course, the octopus gets. I, I, do you know how much time goes by in the movie? I think it's a year, year and a half, something like that. Yeah, and that's and that's a pretty good. That's a pretty old octopus by then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the octopus ends up um, reproducing. Is that right? Did it lay eggs? Yeah, ha- yeah, has has a baby. So th- so I guess he's the way that he tells it is he has two octopi or octopuses in yeah. one spot, and so it's a male and a female. Well, you know, octopi is wrong, right? I see. I found some different information. I found that both are true. Both are correct. No, no, because it tell me. It would correct be, me. It would be octopode, right? Octopodes or octopuses, but octopi would if it's pi, though it it would be a Greek, but it's not a Greek influence, so it's not pi. And that I comes read that and came to a different conclusion. You're you're the boss man. I'll go with your. Well, I got this from if it's Latin or Greek. Yeah, uh, I, well, I got I, I get I get maybe mixed up where it comes from, but I know octopi is wrong, and I get that from uh, Rich Ross, who's one of the big octopus uh, experts in the world out there. All right, and. Uh, I trust him rather than me. Some uh, random yeah. guy podcast. <laughs> yeah, octopuses and octo, o- octopuses and octo, octo. I think he was like oct- octopodes or octopodes, octopodes. I get confused, hmm. but it's it's yeah. That's anyway. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's just it's splitting hairs. Moving um, on. Moving on. So anyway, this the, the octopus has babies, uh, and then she does what octopuses do. All her energy goes into making her babies, and she gets weak, and then. That's when the sharks finally get her, and and carry carry her dying lifeless body off. I know, and she's kind of like white colored by then too. But that, and that's where you were talking about his storytelling, and mm-hmm. you know the, the the conflict, and there was rising action and falling action. But what his son uh, Craig, the producer, his son found some baby octopi octopuses. Uh, octopuses. <laughs> his son, his son was called Tom. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and, uh, he found one, a baby at the end and, you know, it could have been hers, right. Cause the timing worked out. And so sure. they kind of, uh, circle, you know, concluded and circled back at the end beautifully, but that was a big question mark too. Yeah. And there's no way to know, but it, it, it very well could have been her given, I mean, we don't know how many octopuses were in that area. You know, I, I well, imagine there, there really pretty... would be a way to know though. Right. I mean, if you did some, if he did some, you know, genetic sampling, oh yeah, sample the there would be. Who knows if he did it or not? He's got a big old museum in his in his house. Well, be, he would have had to get a sample of, of mom and then a sample of the baby. So right. like maybe like while mom is still alive, you snip off one of her arms. <laughs> like <laughs> the shark did. Like the shark did. It'll grow back. And then you catch a little baby and just get your little fingernail clippers out and clip off one of the arms there. Now you can compare. Yeah. That sounds I mean, maybe terrible. <laughs> Did he let the mom just sort of float off or did he keep it and do something? Give her a funeral? You know, who knows what he did? Well, we saw the shark eat it. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So unless, unless he's scraping the shark poo off the bottom of the seafloor, <laughs> that, that thing's gone. Forgot about that part. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, he did a good job and the music changes and you feel it. And it, you know, it, it was a, just a great movie to look at. And I think uh, I, I, I watched it at three in the morning because um, I work at four in the morning. And so I got up an hour before I get, I always have to have a cup of coffee before I go to work. And so I watched it over the course of a few days at three o'clock in the morning. And so I'm curious, to, I should watch it with my kids and see what they think, what their takeaway is. Well, that's kind of funny. So, you know, here we're the fish nerds and I try to keep up on this kind of stuff, but I'd never seen it until just about a month ago. My wife asked me, hey, what were you watching? And I told her and she said, oh yeah, the kids watched that at their grandparents, you know, a couple months ago. 
It's like, oh man, I'm I'm a fish nerd that's way behind on the times here. So. <laughs> Your kids are way more cool than you are. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. so your overall thought, you recommend it? You think it's a good movie? Yeah, absolutely recommend it. We didn't get to, uh, you kind of talked about some of the stuff at the end, but you know, it was sad. I heard about some, some tears from other folks that have watched it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a good story. It's a little sad at the end, but um, for the footage alone, I mean, absolutely crazy. And, it, and it, it inspired my curiosity of octopuses. It made me read a little bit and look into them and dig in and um, learn a lot. Cause they, you know, you hear about that they're intelligent, but um, yeah, they really are, but they're, they're interesting creatures and, uh, the movie kind of pushed me towards wanting to learn more. So that's a good thing. It is fascinating. And, and I got down a uh, wormhole on the, on YouTube. So watching, watching octopuses solve problems, you know, cause there's so many experiments done with octopuses and how they learn. Uh, like opening jars and stuff. Yeah. Stuff. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. Like, like the one I saw was they, they gave a octopus, a crab in a jar and they had another octopus in, in, in they, and they took a, that one octopus at first went a long time to figure out how to open the jar. And then they brought another octopus in, in a tank and put it next to the one with the jar. And they, they fed the, you know, they gave the jar to the octopus who learned how to open the jar. And the octopus who had never seen the jar before watched one time, watched watch that, watch that octopus open the jar and eat the crab. And they, then they then put that crab in a jar in that new octopus's tank and immediately opened the tank, opened the, opened the jar and ate the crab. Like it was nothing. Wow. Like he had done it a thousand times, just visually learning. And that's a pretty mm-hmm. remarkable trait, especially for a mollusk. I was just going to say the same thing for a mollusk. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, you expect that from like higher vertebrate animals. Mm-hmm. You know, you might expect it in a bird or a dog or, you know, a monkey or a human, but you would not expect that from an octopus. So that's pretty remarkable. Well, and even in the footage in the movie, right? I mean, using tools and the shells and stuff. I mean, it's oh, just, it's, yeah. That's next level for a mollusk. That really is cool. Now, are there other mollusks that show this kind of intelligence? I don't know. I don't know either. So that would be I mean, the next research project for for us to figure out. Yeah, probably not the snails and things like that. I've never met a smart snail. I want to see like that movie, My Escargot Teacher. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you could make it, Clay. That's how you get. That's how you do it. You make a great documentary, My Escargot Teacher, and then uh, and then you can just. Dive fish every day and don't have to have a job. Oh, you know, the, and the, 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 the big out. finish instead of the sharks eating the snail, it'll be me. Yeah. <laughs> the gardener, Clay the gardener. Yeah, exactly. So, like, this whole like build this relationship up with a snail. Then, you know, every so often I try to eat it, but that one time it gets away. And then <laughs> finally it gets to be old, it reproduces. And you see me crying over a buttery plate of escargot. Escargot. And then fade out. Fade that. We just wrote a movie. We just made a million dollars. We're going to win Oscars. Oh, tons of them. <laughs> tons of them. All right. So that's my octopus teacher. Any final thoughts or we, do we cover it? Go watch it. It's Go, a great movie. Yeah, well worth your time. If you're already subscribing to Netflix, you might as well. And by the way, we'll say Netflix is not, is not supporting this podcast. This is just us watching a movie. Maybe they will. Uh, last thing I saw that was interesting was, uh, I think it was 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. So if peer pressure is your thing, other people like it too. You should go watch it. <laughs> all the cool kids are watching My yeah, Octopus Teacher. Yeah, all the kids, cool kids are doing it. All right. Well, that's a good review of My Octopus Teacher. All right. I have to do, I need to talk about sunglasses because uh, Costa Sunglasses sent me some free sunglasses because I'm, a, in, I'm, a, I'm an influencer. That's what they called me. Do you hmm. ever, been, ever been called that? No. My, my time's still in the future yet. Yeah. They, so they. So I so I'm a I'm a cheap sunglasses person. I'm the kind of guy who likes to wear sunglasses 
that cost $6 at Walmart. Because that way, when they fall in the lake, I don't cry. So I was going to say, you're a fishing guide, so you probably drop them a lot, but you got to have nice ones. So you're kind of running that balance. I am kind of running that balance. And I will say, this is not a paid advertisement. I'm going to talk about them because they gave me some free sunglasses, and I feel like I should talk about them and thank them for it. So, so Costa Sunglasses sent me a pair of sunglasses and at retail for like over $200, which blew my mind. I've never even knew that was a thing. Um, but I've been wearing them out and about, and I can, I can tell you that compared to my cheap $8 glasses, not only are they more comfortable, <laughs> which everything is, but actually I can see through the water better, which is what you want polarized glasses to do. So I'm going to read you a little bit of a blurb from them just as a thank you to Costa Sunglasses. They are, they're the first manufacturer of color-enhancing all polarized, so the free ad for them, or for donating glasses to me, all polarized glasses, sunglass lenses. They grow its lifestyle collection just in time for summer with two new beach-ready lifestyle frames. One's called Rincondo, and the other's called Maya, and Maya's kind of the feminine one. And they're sending my wife a set of Maya sunglasses, um, which is good, because that means that I'm a good husband, because my wife gets free sunglasses, too. Um, his they, and hers. Yeah, his and hers. So she now is an influencer. I was, in fact, in the car with my daughter today, wearing my Costa sunglasses, and I said, hey, mom's getting a pair of these, too. And she says, why is mom getting a pair? I said, because she's an influencer like me on Instagram. How does it feel every day to walk into school and you walk in and your friends all go, hey, Zoe, your parents are beautiful people. How do you cope with that, having such pretty parents? (laughs) Uh How'd she respond? She did not think I'm funny. She just kind of was like rolling her eyes and couldn't wait to get out of the car. So anyway, we're excited about these and we thank Costa Sunglasses for sending them along. And if you're in the market for sunglasses, maybe you visit costasunglasses.com. Hey, how do they do as far as falling in the water? Do they not fall in the water as often? I am so a- afraid to lean over the side of the boat with them on that I take them off because of how expensive they are. So There you go. Perfect. See, it's like it's a new feature. Yeah, when you when you have expensive things, maybe you just be more careful. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Yeah. And we do have to do a little boat setter ad here for you as well. Do you uh do you want to go out on a boat? Do you own a boat yourself? Boat setter is the go-to platform for all types of boating experiences, including fishing. It's also a way for charters to grow their businesses or for boat owners to rent out their boats to make some money. It's a great idea. You can make a boat payment when you're at work. If you sign up, you can list your boat for, to rent for charters. Tell Boat Setter that Fish Nerd sent you. Their team will send you a free swag package when your boat listing is complete. Visit BoatSetter.com or download the Boat Setter app to plan your next adventure and get 5% off when you book with the code FishNerds. So there we go. There's our, our advertisements. Someday I'll get good at those things. <laughs> yeah, I know. Maybe not. <laughs> but hey, I thought it was pretty good. We're almost 300 episodes in, and I think I've, I think I've had ads on the show maybe eight times. So it's not something I do a lot of. I don't, I don't seek out advertisers because I, I'm a failure in making money at a podcast. I'm good at <laughs> making a podcast, but you know, darn good podcast. The business side, I don't, you know, I don't understand. <clears throat> All right, how about some news? News, news, fish in the news. Everybody. Everybody loves the fish in the news. And I'm going to lead with a story today about uh, Fonzie. This is not the first time I've had Fonzie news on the podcast. Do you know who Fonzie is? So I, I saw this and I, it's one of those things that, you know, maybe I'm too young, but people talk about the Fonz and it's kind of lost on me, except when I saw the picture. Um, and then I was like, oh yeah, I know that guy from Parks and Recreation, from Arrested Development, but not from the Fonz. I can't I'm believe it. Young. So. Anyway, that's Henry Henry Winkler, and Henry Winkler it was he, he got famous 
back in the 1960s and 70s, whenever the, whenever the Happy Days TV show came out. Uh, and yeah, he was in Parks and Rec. He's been in, in some movies with uh, Adam Sandler and I guess a heck of a nice guy, apparently, and a big fly fisher. In fact, he has a book out called I've Never Met an Idiot on the River. And when that came out, I tried getting him on the podcast uh, and he never he never responded. Oh, come on. I know. Come on, Fonz. I know. So I had trouble feeling bad for him, but he went on, he, he, he does a lot of trout fishing and he posts pictures of, you know, the gripping grin, the classic picture holding a fish and smiling, right? And purist fly fishers hate this. You know, they, they think you should never take a fish out of the water. You should never do the grip and grin. One of our listeners, uh, who is um, a uh, science writer for Nat Geo, agrees with people who uh, <laughs> who beat up on the fonts for doing this. Do you know who that person is? No. It's uh, Rhett Talbot. And uh, Rhett Talbot, who's uh, he, he's been on the show a few times, and he has his own podcast out for a while, uh, who's a Nat Geo writer, also is very against grip and grin. And he hates when I share pictures of me holding fish and smiling. But, well, some fish take it better than others. I just think, you know what, the fish deserve it. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> here's the story. Legendary actor is being attacked on Twitter for showing a picture of a trout, which he released. Henry Winkler, who you might recognize from the Fonz from Happy Days, is also a big fly fisher. And last week, he tweeted a photo of a stud cutthroat with a simple message, I can't even express the beauty everywhere on our planet, referring to his big fish and the beautiful river it came from. The post sparked outrage from people who seem to think that catch and release fishing is a special kind of evil. Uh, and, and by the way, let's, let's talk about catch and release fishing. Do you think catch and release fishing is torture to a fish? Uh, I don't personally know. I do. You think it's torture? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's all about perspective, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, mean, I, I cannot make a strong case that throwing a line in the water, smashing a piece of metal through a, a fish's face, dragging him through the rapids, putting him in a net, lifting him out of the water, and then smiling and putting him back in the water is something a fish enjoys. What if you were what if you were fishing for a bigger fish or a different species, and then you thought, you know what, out of the goodness of my heart, I'm going to let this one go and, and catch that next one. Right, but that fish who got let go still got a piece of metal in his face, <laughs> dragged through the water, lifted out of the water, and then tossed back in again. So... When, when people tell me that fishing is cruel or catch and release is torture, I tend to kind of go, yep, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> it, yeah, I don't know. It I, kind I feel like of it, is. You know, the, the prepper side of me is like, well, you're, you know, you're honing your skills. You know, what, one day maybe you'll need to eat that fish. Today you don't. But maybe another day, you know, you might need to eat that fish oh, one day. But I would argue that you, you are also correct. I think both things are true. Mm. You know, I, I think, yep, as a fisher person who maybe wants to eat fish – I get better through practicing with catch and release, right? And I in a strong case that a fish that's caught and released lives longer than one that's caught and eaten. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think that's a fair case can be made as well. But I still think no matter what, no matter how you slice and dice it, hooking a fish and dragging it through the water is something that fish it sounds like torture to me. Fish don't like it. Fish don't like it. So yeah. when when people come out yelling about it, I'm like, you're right. And I have no counter argument. Mm, like that's yeah. it but i still i'm still gonna do it because you know i'm i'm the devil um and, so let's and you're read, a fisherman that's what I, you do that's what i do and 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 i always, and i've said that before i was on npr last year and i and they asked me about fishing and i said fishing is the dumbest sport on earth <laughs> we spend all kinds of money on all kinds of gear 
and we put a hook in the, in the water with bait on it, and we spend a ton of money and time catching this fish, and then we put it back in the water again. It doesn't make any sense at all. But we yeah, do it. I kind of feel like when you break down anything, you can any hobby, you can kind of get there. You, you, know? you can. Why do we play basketball? Why do we run around the court? Yeah, and- I don't. <laughs> but but I but it, 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 you're totally right about it. But it, I I don't try to make a strong case for fishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if someone tells me it's dumb, I'm like, yep, it's totally dumb, but I'm doing it It's anyway. dumb. I love it, but it's dumb. Yep. And you do dumb stuff too. And yep. that's okay. Um, so let's see, read some of the tweets that he got. Uh, here's one. And leave it to a human to, to disrupt the beauty and take a selfie to post on Twitter to get likes, says top commenter Deborah. Imagine if that fish held you underwater to get a selfie. Please don't encourage this. <laughs> so let's, let's kind of uh, work on this idea. Imagine... If a fish held you underwater for a selfie, how would you feel? Yeah, drowned. No, because he's going to put you back on top of the water. Seems just like put the fish back in, so you wouldn't <laughs> drown, but you'd have a story to tell. So she's anthropomorphizing this fish. Imagine if it took you underwater, right? It, and so, I'm yeah, I'm able to go underwater, so it's tough to imagine. But those fish, they have a tough time getting out of the water. So it's like this experience yeah. that they've been given to see the world that they have not seen. Right. So I'm imagining the fish pulls me underwater for a selfie. First of all, a fish with a camera, I'm in. I need to see this. <laughs> then I get to come out of the water and go to my wife, holy smokes, you're not going to believe this. But I went fishing today and a fish grabbed me by the face and dragged me underwater. And guess what it did? took a selfie and then put me back on top of the water. It's amazing. <laughs> so if I play that out, it's a good story. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Deborah, I, I thank you for that, Deborah. That's a good, a good tweet. I don't think good that's work, negative. Deborah. Yeah. Well done. Uh, here's another one. Somehow a picture of you holding a dead animal you did not have to kill doesn't match your sentiments. And that, um, Somehow a picture of you holding a dead animal you did not have to kill. Right. So the person who saw that picture of him holding that trout assumed he was holding a dead trout. I I was going there too. It seemed like a lot of folks were upset assuming it was dead, but they'd be upset even if they knew it was alive and released. Well, there are a lot of people who, um, and this is a real thing, who don't understand that, that food comes from animals. (laughs) <laughs> like it, I thought it just came from the grocery store. A lot of people, there, there are people who don't even know, have a clue. And, uh, and so if he had kept and cooked it, he would probably spike, you know, some other outrage. Like, why don't you get your fish from the store? Yeah. Everybody else, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, another tweet says, I hope you put, I hope you put that beautiful fish back in the beautiful water to continue, continue to live a beautiful, peaceful life. Uh, death to any animal is not beautiful. So the vegans are coming out against him here. And gotta, this person needs a, a corner on beautiful here. I was going to say they need a thesaurus on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, another one. Uh, take a photo. Don't rip an animal out of its natural environment with a hook through its face, so you can feel something. Honestly, fishing is weird, man. And, and to uh, you, Clay would say, "Yep, it's totally yep. weird." <laughs> you are so right. Um, <laughs> but doesn't that take the power? Like, imagine like someone's protesting what you're doing, and you go, "Yeah, man, I agree with you." You're right on. Right on. Yeah. There's no power again when you agree with people. Like it's it deflates them. It's so deflated. They came for an argument, and you're like, "Yeah, you're totally right." <laughs> you know, are you married? I am. So next time your wife argues with you, let's say, what's what's the one thing kind of innocuous you guys fight about? Something not important. What about uh, like leaving the toilet seat up? That's All right, cool. you leave the toilet seat up, right? And so you know, you always 
you always forget to put that toilet seat down. And you say, well, it's hard. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I forget. And what does it matter? And who cares? Yeah. So that, that, that's how you get into an argument. We're fighting. Right. So instead of fighting with her, you know, you're right. I should put it down more. I'm so sad that I can't remember to do this every time. Now, Why? Why do I do it? I don't know. Yeah. Now you're on the same team. Yeah. You're on the team. Now, I go the other way with that one. I'm going, you know, putting it down is easy. Why don't you lift it up? <laughs> so you're fighting again. Yeah. Right. I pee more than you do. You should set me up for my next pee. Like, why aren't you helping me? Why are you so selfish when you pee? It's all about perspective. All perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I just, now I just pee in a different bathroom or I just pee off the front porch where you're supposed to pee. A lot of that going around here too. Peeing off the porches? Outside a good place to pee. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I never want to live in a place where I can't pee off my porch. That's, yeah, that's, I've got select spots. Too many neighbors nearby, but select spots where I'm good. Yeah. I know those spots well. I know them well too. There are days where I don't pee inside ever. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's that's Fonzie News. We'll keep tweeting at him. Maybe someday he'll come on the podcast. Let's um, hope so. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right. So how about you? Did you bring a story? I did bring a story. I have two stories. They're kind of related. So maybe I'll just, uh, I'll just do both of them. So sure. this one was, um, it was entitled DWR increases fishing limits at 10 water bodies in Utah. Mm. So that's the Utah division of wildlife resources. And uh, so I guess due to drought and some expected low water conditions, the Utah DWR made some emergency changes to Utah's fishing regulations and so the emergency is low water and anglers get to catch more fish. Wow. So there was 10 different reservoirs in Utah and uh, they raised the limits um, on some of the fish. Usually it was like trout. I think maybe you can typically keep six and now it's up to eight. Um, so raised the limit uh, on trout and then they eliminated some limits altogether. Um, raised limits on smallmouth and largemouth. Some bluegill limits I think got, got removed. So I guess the idea is that uh, temperatures have been warm. They've had less precipitation and there's also some forecasted warm weather and low pre precipitation in the near future. So lower levels, res reservoir levels, warmer water, lower dissolved oxygen. Some of the fish might die off. So, Hey, let the anglers catch more fish. Who could argue with that? Right? Yeah. So, yeah. So the, so the premise is that, yeah, so the, the fish can be crowded and dying anyway. So you end up with giant fish kill, which is bad for everybody, or you yeah. just allow a fish kill. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let, the, let the anglers keep them. I don't know Utah very well. There are some states that don't have a lot of natural like ponds and lakes. I mean, is Utah one of those states? These were, And these were all reservoirs. And I think there's right. plenty of other spaces in Utah that has uh, that they have fine conditions, but mm -hmm. these were some specific, about 10 specific spots. So yeah, man-made reservoirs um, probably are going to start looking pretty ugly here. Uh, probably, yeah. I guess just, you know, they should take those dams out. <laughs> let it all go. I, I, would you enjoy fishing uh, in a fishery that was that easy? Uh, yeah, it kind of sounds like the fish in a barrel thing. It also seems kind of muddy and hot and stinky. And no, it doesn't sound great. Uh, count me in. That sounds great to me. I, I love easy fishing. <laughs> That's <laughs> you, your style. You huh? could take your beetle spin that never works. And on that day, it's going to work because the fish are so condensed and hungry. So they'll take what they could get. Take what they can get. Yeah. Keep it simple. You got well, a, a side note. Um, an old buddy of mine worked for the state and he was interviewed for the article. So that was kind of a bonus. Um, oh, perfect. Uh, kind of world. I need to catch up with him. But um, so that was that was kind of it on that article. But a related article that I'll jump into just because it's it's so related here. And this one is over in Colorado. And this one is entitled Emergency Fishing Ban Enacted on Part of Yampa River. Emergency so, Fishing Ban. Yeah. So the last one was an emergency you know, fishing limit increase. And mm -hmm. this was an emergency fishing ban wow, on the Yampa so River. So 
in, in Colorado, uh, the, the Colorado Parks and Wildlife, that's the wildlife agency there, they enacted a emergency shutdown of fishing in just a certain part of this Yampa River due to the same stuff, dry conditions, low water flows, and then some minimal snowpack up in the mountains. So uh, they were in a severe drought. And I guess there's some big rainbow trout that live in this area of the river down below uh, a dam. And it's a kind of a trophy fishery. So there, I, I think the managers are trying to protect the fish that are there by relieving the fishing pressure, take the stress off the fish because they're already being stressed by these other kind of environmental conditions. Whereas in Utah, they were, they're like, Hey, just catch them, you know, catch more of them, but catch, here they're catch them and kill them. Now they must have in that Colorado stream must be much colder water, much higher level dissolved oxygen and way less fish. You know, you're yeah, talking warm water fishery versus cold water fishery. Well, and they're, they're both talking trout. And so I think that, I think the Utah, uh, those, that, that's just kind of stockers and maybe nothing too, mm-hmm. not really trophy uh, territory. Whereas this stretch of the river, I think is more of a big trophy fish um, and not, not just little stockers, I guess. So, mm-hmm. well, no, but you were talking Utah, those are muddy, hot ponds. And you're talking uh, true. Yeah. And there, you're right. There was some, uh, so there's, I think they stock trout in mm-hmm. those reservoirs, but then there's also largemouth. Right. And the trout um, survive because they're big, deep man-made bodies of water. But as soon as that warms up, they're gone. Yeah. And that mountain, those mountain streams are going to have much colder water, much higher level dissolved oxygen. So they're going to do better. So they must have way less fish. Yeah. Way less fish. They are having the same you know, low flows, uh, hotter temperatures, mm-hmm. uh, lower DO. And so that those are already going to stress the fish. So they're trying to pull the, pull out any more stress, you know, uh, if, if the fish are already being stressed, let's not fish for them. Yeah. Add to more stress. Boy, let's not it, yank them out of the water and take selfies. We right? should totally, well, maybe they get a suntan and tell their friends, look, I got a suntan and everything. <laughs> the Fonz was up there. It was like, Hey, that, so that guy had some awesome Costas. He's <laughs> in my sunglasses. He can see right through the water. Yeah. So, um, so it, it It'd be interesting to see how these both turn out. Like, it, they're probably not comparable water bodies where you can actually do any real science between the two things because there's too many variables that you can't control for. But what do you think? Yeah, which, very different. Which one do you think is taking the right action as a scientist yourself? Well, it, it, kind of my takeaway from it all was, uh, you know, every uh, fish management is complicated. Uh, every case is a little different. I think if we just read these as news articles and said, why are they doing it over here like that? And why are they doing it over there like that? Uh, biologists don't know what they're doing, but um, I think they're smart folks. They know what they're doing. Fish management is complicated and those folks are probably doing a great job. I think it's just, uh, yeah, different, different territory. Those hot reservoirs um, in Utah versus this kind of, um, you know, more of a nicer place to protect here in, in Colorado, I think. Well, that's, that's good. And it's always interesting to see how these things turn out. I'm worried about here in New Hampshire, we're suffering a drought right now and our rivers are already low. Our water's already warming up, warming that it should be this time of year. So we're very curious how this year is going to play out for our, uh, You did it, Mark. You made a podcast. Congratulations. I made a podcast? Again, second we- one. <laughs> second one. <laughs> All right, let's wrap you this. You made a podcast, Clay. Uh, you did it. You're a hero. All right. Read the words. So that's it. You listened to a couple fish nerds when you should have been fishing. Special thanks to Wally Pleasant and Diane's Bath Salts for the music in this week's episode. Big fat thank you to Costa Sunglasses and BoatSetter.com. And a huge big thank you to all the supporters on Patreon. We'll be doing a Patreon episode for you soon. I got some 
also some fun coming up in the future for you as well. Until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds. Spawn early and often. Never trust a free lunch with strings attached. And swim against the current every chance you get. You did it. You podcasted. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. Just for the hell of it. Fry it in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast.